John 17:20-26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you, those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Well, Terry has been a good friend to uh, many of us, some of us, and uh, he served so well our um, community at Ambrose University, and uh, I know firsthand from students, well, I guess secondhand from students, uh, that they appreciate uh, his work and his ministry and his heart and his passion. So uh, we are very pleased to have uh, Terry come and speak to us for this week and two more weeks. Very good. So he doesn't have to cram it all in today. So uh, let us give uh, Terry a welcome as he comes to speak to us today. Thank you. It is a little tricky filling in for the regular pastor. You want to be uh, good enough so that you come back next week, but not too good. And uh, I do have a wife. She, her name is Ruth. She's not with me today. She would be, but she is a nurse, and she works shift work, and she is working one even now. And I'm actually glad she wasn't with me this morning for the reason that I went on autopilot to the old location, so sped over here, and I'm sure I hit a few photo radars. So hopefully she won't know anything about that. And my daughters are adults. Michaela is just graduating from Alberta College of Art and Design this, uh, this month. And another daughter, Miranda, who lives in Vancouver. Um, today finds us in a very interesting spot in the calendars. Uh, and that can be a challenge sometimes for churches. Today is Mother's Day. Bonifetta de Mer, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. But we're also in the season of endings and beginnings that come along with the school year. So if you're any like me, uh, you've been involved or participating in some graduation ceremonies or banquets either in the last few weeks or perhaps coming in the next few weeks. And then finally, there's a third calendar. There's the Christian calendar, the one that Christians follow, uh, the churches follow. And this is actually the last Sunday of the season of Easter. So we've got a mashup of calendars going on. And, and often these calendars, I call Mother's Day is on the Hallmark calendar. And, and, and uh, the school year is its own kind of rhythm to life. And boy, I, I've been... My life is very much in that rhythm of time. 
And these, these other calendars, Hallmark, school year, tend to, to drive our daily lives and uh, celebrations. But I'd invite you this morning to consider what it means that, first of all, Christians for many centuries have celebrated Easter not as just a one-Sunday, one-and-done event, but as a 50-day season. So consider that. And then secondly, ponder what it means that our scripture reading today, which i got to be honest, I wouldn't have chosen if I'd had the chance. I like stories, stories in the Bible, stories about whales that swallow people. Those are good. Uh, you know, stuff like that. A good story is, is something I would choose. So I wouldn't have chosen that normally, but that reading that we heard read is a traditional reading that the church has read for centuries in the season of Easter. For the, the Christian story, in that story, there is no equal to Easter. There's no comparison to the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. Resurrection and new creation are at the very core of what it means to be in the Christian faith, to be a Christian. So today's reading calls us to listen and reflect and take it to heart. And I got to tell you, it's not an easy reading. Uh, yeah, it's hard to follow. I, I, in fact, if it's okay with you, it's a short one. Let's do it again. Because repetition would be our friend at this point. And I see that you have the notes and the, the exact translation in your uh, sermon note insert. So let me go over it one more time. This is John's Gospel, chapter 17. Jesus, according to John, says this. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. Oh, that's good. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I've revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. The word of the Lord. For me, this reading we've just heard, as I've said, is a real challenge to listen to. The language is dense. It's abstract. It's kind of heavy theology, it sounds like. Uh, big ideas, big words, big themes. Take a look at them. Belief. Glory. Glory. Unity, perfect unity, 
love. There's not much story here, not much narrative. But at this point, John in his gospel has, in his telling of the story of Jesus, has moved away from stories about weddings where water gets turned into wine, moved away from stories about miracles, midnight meetings with Pharisees under cover of darkness, uh, healings, hillside feedings of 5,000. In fact, we've come to a place in John's gospel where Jesus is giving words of farewell to his followers. John actually devotes four whole chapters to Jesus' farewell to his followers. This is Jesus' valedictory speech. He's giving a valedictory speech. A valedictory speech at a graduation is a farewell to the graduates. And Jesus has some graduates. He has 12 graduates. Well, 11 at this point. Something happened along the way. One didn't get to the final exam. But this is a valedictory speech. And it's four chapters long. And... uh, His own disciples are about to be launched into the world. They're going to go it alone. And in chapter 13, if you want to read the whole thing, it starts in chapter 13. And Jesus has gathered them together for a final meal. He's washed their feet. He's given them a new command. You ever heard of Maundy Thursday? That comes from mandate, the command. That's the day, Thursday night of Holy Week, when Jesus gathered his followers and said, I'm going to wash your feet. I know I'm the master, I'm the teacher, but this is the way I want you to serve other people, the way I'm going to serve you right now. This is my mandate, my command, to love one another. And on that night, Jesus also gives them a standard for what love looks like. Love others the way I am loving you. This is Thursday night of Holy Week, and the next day Jesus will be crucified. And what we just read, what we heard in our reading today, is the final part of Jesus' concluding prayer just before his arrest. It's like we're hearing Jesus' last will and testament. So we're just getting a snippet here. It's the very tail end of the prayer that comes on the very tail end of the long closing remarks of Jesus to his followers. Now, the first and most obvious thing about this reading is that Jesus is praying for his closest friends and his disciples. But Jesus doesn't only pray for his disciples back then. He's praying for us too. Verse 20 reads, I am praying not only for these disciples I have right now, I'm kind of adding a few words in for emphasis. I'm not only praying for the folks that have followed me now and here, but also for all who will ever come to believe in me through the message of my disciples' lives. So when we think of Jesus and prayer, I I don't know about you, but I always think first of the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Or perhaps we think of the agonizing prayer Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's wrestling with his vocation and he prays, God, if you can take this cup from my hands and let me go my own way, I'd really appreciate it. But here, in this reading, 
is a prayer that Jesus is actually praying for you and for me. This is a prayer that Jesus prays for us. I I find that to be a remarkable thing. The same thing he prays for his disciples then, he prays for us now to help us with our belief, to help us figure out how to be a community, to be one, and how to love. So if you look at the whole prayer, so we've got the big, big, long, final farewell valediction speech, and then in chapter 17 is the whole prayer. And if you look at that whole prayer, it's interesting to note what Jesus doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray that we'll somehow get a free pass on dealing with life and all its brokenness and its struggle in this world. He doesn't pray that life will be easy after he's gone. I think Jesus knows it's not going to be that way. He knows that the world is captive to something that's preventing the new creation from flowering in its fullness. He knows that the world is the place where God is working out a plan for the healing of the whole creation. But on the other hand, he knows it's also a place of tension, of turmoil, of violence, senseless suffering. He knows it's a place full of despair and not hope. Often there's a sense of scarcity instead of abundance. Fear motivates people instead of courage in this world. And selfish, selfishness instead of compassion. And how right Jesus was then and how right Jesus would be about now. I need do no more than mention to you this morning these names of places where misery and suffering are rife. Damascus, Aleppo, Baltimore, Ferguson, Missouri. How about the island of Lampedusa that's just off the coast of Tunisia where this week alone the Italian Navy rescued 1,800 refugees trying to escape their fate in Africa? Or what about Canadian First Nations reserves like Attawapiskat? We hear about this in the news where, where, where teen suicide is eight to ten times the national average. Jesus realizes that the kingdom he is offering, the kingdom he's pointing to, the gospel and the kingdom of shalom, of peace and justice and wholeness and healing, he knows it's going to involve great struggle, monumental sacrifice, a kind of costly love that maybe at that point he's the only one who understands what it could be like. And he's giving these instructions to his followers at the end. So what does Jesus bring to the Father in his prayer? Notice, he's not praying to you and me. (laughs) He's not praying to his disciples. He's praying to his Father for us. He's advocating for us. He's interceding for us. What is he praying for? Jesus prays, first of all, most obviously. In fact, if you go and read the whole thing, this 
This comes up over and over again. Jesus prays that we would be one. We, his followers, would be united. That we'd be united with each other and with Jesus and the Father. That we would experience a quality of love for each other that Jesus himself knows with his Father. Jesus prays that we would experience the kind of community amongst ourselves that would say to the broken world, there is hope for the future. And God is doing something redemptively to save it in history. And Jesus prays for this community, this unity, this loving community several times, not just once. I have several observations I could make about this prayer of Jesus for community this morning. Let me just mention three. The first is this. Even though the prayer of Jesus happens before his crucifixion and his resurrection, before the first Easter morning, Jesus' words are read at Easter. Why is that? Because Jesus' words are describing a future reality. It's a reality in which Jesus is crucified, but he's also risen and he's ascended. In the Christian calendar, the most under-observed event is called Ascension Day. And it, it's always in the middle of the week on a Thursday. It's always in the last week of Easter. So it was Thursday, just a few days ago. And that's a pretty important idea for Christians, the idea that Jesus is not only crucified and raised from the dead, but he goes up on our behalf, not only as Lord of the world, but to pray for us, to worship God for us, to be our advocate for us, to intercede and keep praying for us. Jesus still prays for you and I today. So this reading, although it looks like, why is this an Easter reading, is really describing the reality of the resurrected, risen, and exalted Jesus. In other words, at the leading edge of the new creation, and this is really a challenge, at the front edge of the resurrection and the new creation and what God is doing in the new reality, is he's forming a community. He's creating a community of Jesus' followers. It's one of the fruits of resurrection. So if you're wondering why they would talk about the church and the community, it's because resurrection means real community is possible, and it's what God wants to create. It's the body of Christ that's alive now, and that's the community of God. Well, I would just say here that Lent, how many of you know about practice Lent? Have a series of Lent? Uh, I, I actually can get that a little easier than Easter. I know Easter is, is like a big celebration, but I can almost understand doing Lent for six weeks. You know, discipleship, commitment, following Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, uh, you know, that I get. But then you get to Easter, and it's almost like a relief. 
Easter is the relief from Lent. But of course, it's more than that. It's it's a mystery that we can barely comprehend. At Easter Sunday, we get plunged from you know all this heavy Lentness to a mystery that God raises Christ from the dead and begins to renew the whole creation. And even though we say that Sunday, every Sunday is a little Easter, we also may feel like we also don't know quite what to do with Easter. How does Easter and resurrection really come to live with us in practical and real ways? It's almost best to let Easter be one Sunday and then move on. But but that's not what we do. So here is something about Easter, the community, that we need to think about. And that leads me to a second thought about Jesus' prayer. If Jesus is praying in his final prayer specifically for something that he wants us to have, then I think it's really important that we have it. (laughs) Don't you think? I mean, that's just my simple logic here. If Jesus is praying to the Father for us that we would have this, then he must think it's very, very important. It's not number seven on his list. It's not number 17 on his things to pray for list. It seems to be the very most important thing. For Jesus, unless his followers bear the marks of his image, the marks of loving community, then the world cannot see. The world won't see. The world won't know. The world can't be healed. The stakes are high. That's what Jesus is praying about here. Uh, I've certainly been guilty, and I still lapse into this once in a while, of talking glibly about community and what community is. I've treated and used the word as though it were something everyone understood, something we were all uh, clear about. I've treated it as though it were one of the many options available for living my Christian spiritual life. Most of us are deeply influenced by the individualistic nature of Western culture, which tries to convince us that community is optional or peripheral. And this individualism has bled into our practice of following Jesus. But we need to remind ourselves that this story of individualism and self-determination that I can figure things out and be a Christian just between me and God, that that is simply not consistent with the scriptures. That is simply not consistent with the Bible story of how God goes about his saving work. God, I mean, let me give you the thumbnail refresher. God starts by calling out Abraham. Yes, he's one person. But he calls out Abraham and gives him a blessing that is completely about community. He says, I am going to form a community through you. And I'm going to bless that community. And that community is going to bless all the nations in the world. God's redeeming activity starts through people and a community of people. And I'm going to give you sons and daughters. I'm going to add to your community. They're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I'm going to give you land so you can live there. You're going to live. I'm going to incarnate 
myself and my purpose and my saving through you people. And then Jesus, Abraham's descendant, kind of follows this tradition. And the scriptures tell us that he gets 12 disciples, which is kind of a way of reforming the 12 tribes of Israel. And he refers to his fault. Jesus refers to his followers as, a, as brothers and sisters. And in the new community he formed, that is formed after his death and resurrection and ascension, baptism becomes a sign of entry into the community. That's what baptism mainly meant in the first century. First, it was belonging to a new family. In the picture of the first century church in the book of Acts of the Apostles, the first believers in Jesus not only were invited into belief together, but they were invited into life together as well. And then last book of the Bible. We're not there yet. But interestingly, the song we sang, All to You, that is a good song. It speaks of the church at the end of time. And the book of John's Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, we get a picture of the final gathering of the true church. And we would have to admit that it doesn't quite look like the churches most of us have seen today. But it's a vision for the future. The one that John sees gathering at the throne of the Lamb is, the world, is a worldwide community drawn from every nation and every gender and every ethnicity, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, man, woman, introvert, extrovert, conservative, liberal, well, maybe just liberals. <laughs> but there's no avoiding this truth, my friends. There's no avoiding it. It's Easter gospel. It's the sign of resurrection. God's plan to heal and restore creation in history happens through community. God's redemptive movement, the arc of history, God's involved in that. And that's why Jesus is praying that we would experience perfect unity, intimacy, and fellowship with each other. Third and final observation. Jesus is praying for our unity. But if Jesus is praying to the Father on our behalf, then this is clearly something we can't do by ourselves. We need God's help to make this community, this sign and foretaste of the kingdom of Shalom. We need God's help to do that. Um, We may have a dream of community. Have you ever had a dream? I'm sure this church has a dream for community. Every church I know has a dream for community. Sometimes it's clearly articulated, sometimes it's not, but they all have a dream. We may have a vision to be a community of friendship and acceptance and grace. But how do you actually do that? We know that this can be one of the hardest parts of doing church to get right. Now, speaking of the gap between dream and reality, uh, can I share just for a moment, take this personal indulgence and share with you my frustration 
about trying to find a good Mother's Day card. <laughs> I'm always disappointed by the terrible poetry in Hallmark card. It's just terrible. And the prose is marginally better, but not much. For example, you have the cards, and, and actually this is for every occasion, the cards that sort of are designed to assuage your guilt about something. I think you know the ones I'm talking about. You know, they're dripping with your guilt. They, they, they say things like, Mom, you know I've done some things in the past that have made you want to disown me. But! <laughs> um, or one I saw yesterday. Yeah, I was shopping yesterday. It's kind of awkward. My mom is here this morning. <laughs> Uh, one I saw yesterday went, Mom, no, from us, dear Mom. We want you to know that whatever happens will always be there for you. <laughs> it worries me if somebody actually has to say that. Or the guilt can go the other way as well, like, like the card that said, Well, I guess this Mother's Day card is late. Looks like someone wasn't raised properly. <laughs> And then one, one that I also appreciated, Mom, thanks for always checking up on me. And it had a picture in the front with a cell phone and the message, Mom, missed call, 24. <laughs> Talk about a backhanded compliment. But my favorite card, which I did find, though it's technically not appropriate for my mother, so I didn't buy it for her, but I still bought it. None of my daughters wanted it. Uh, was entitled, this was the card, Motherhood, living the dream while keeping it real on Mother's Day. And a uh, lovely card. It's, like a, it's a little book. Um, you can see it if you want. It, it, it shows pictures. It shows the dream, and then it shows the reality. Dream, reality. There's, there's mom waving at the school bus as it goes. And then the, the reality is that mom is actually chasing the kid who's late for the bus with his lunch. <laughs> Uh, what, oh, there's one more. Uh, the dream is seen sending child to college. Mom's crying. The car's leaving with pack bags on the top. And the reality has mom looking at a, a statement from the bank about <laughs> tuition. <laughs> the fact is, real community is like that. There, there's a dream. You have to have a dream. But then you got to keep it real. We, we know what the reality is. We've probably all experienced the gap between the dream for community and our real experience of community, sometimes painfully so. What is our role in forming community? For one thing, you know, this, this is not a prayer where Jesus gets into execution details. And we're not going to get into that this morning. But one thing we can do is be real about friendship. We can get real about the challenges of friendship. We can name the myths about what belonging looks like. And there are many myths. I heartily recommend the work of Joe Myers on the search to belong in our society and what belonging can look like and how different it can be for different kinds of people with different kinds of personality. And I heartily recommend Adam McHugh's book called Introverts in the Church, 
which helps debunk some of the ways we simplistically equate things like socializing with community or more involvement and busyness with commitment and community. But perhaps finally we should realize that Jesus is praying for us so that we can receive the grace and the wisdom that we need for a real community to happen so that we could be his community. And without God's empowering presence, it will not happen. So maybe we simply need to stop trying so hard to make community happen ourselves. And instead of trying to find the magic formula or the magic program, simply get on our knees and pray. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that there can be no community without confession. Confession opens us up to our frailty and our limitation. We all live in some kind of brokenness. We all have struggles and excuses. And confessing our need is the place to start if we're going to be one because it shows us that we need something more than we can get from each other. It's something we can get from God and God alone. And then we can pray to receive the glory that God gave to Jesus. It's very interesting in that prayer and the little bit we read at the end that Jesus prays that we, his followers, would receive his glory. Verse 24, Father, I want these whom you've given to me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me. That's a bit of a strange part of Jesus' prayer, but I believe it's the key to this whole prayer of Jesus, the key to our becoming the resurrection community of Jesus. And this is my final challenge for us and point this morning. What is this glory that Jesus wants us to see? It's very interesting. John's gospel has a lot to say about glory. I know we often, I, I often think of glory as, you know, being up there, uh, being in the light, receiving the accolade, receiving the honor, shining. But the glory that Jesus is talking about and that John's gospel talks about doesn't seem to be that at all. It's very interesting. In John's gospel, he starts, in the beginning was the word, the word was made flesh, and that revealed God's glory. That's what John says right at the beginning. When the word becomes flesh, that's a revealing of God's glory. Jesus performs his first miracle. It's at a wedding. They run out of wine. There's a social embarrassment about to happen for the parents. Jesus' mother goes to him and says, can you do something? He does something big. He turns water into gallons of really good wine. And you know what John says? God's glory was just revealed in that. Flesh, something fleshly. And then the gospel writers, John and Paul the Apostle, say that when Jesus is lifted up on the cross, there's a picture of God's glory. It seems that the movement from word to flesh reveals God's 
glory. And it's not a glory that shines as much as it's a glory that bleeds. Paul, the Gospels affirm that this is glory, to give, to be poured out in love for the sake of the other. This is the glory of God. This is love. This is glory that gives and redeems. It's the glory of God that makes community possible. And this is what Jesus is praying we will come to know and live. And this is what Jesus prayed for when he prayed for us. Thanks be to God. May we pray. Lord, thank you for the power of your word to us today. Open our hearts and minds that we may stand under this word, that we may literally understand what, your, what the prayer of Jesus is bringing to you, our Father. Lord, we ask that you would give us the perfect unity that we can't come up with ourselves. Lord, would you give us the glory that you gave to Jesus, that we would know what it means to have an attitude of service, of pouring ourselves out for the sake of the other, that we would put others before we would put ourselves. And Lord, would you show us again what love means, that we may come to believe in you and we may share in the unity and love of your Son. And finally, Lord, form us into a taste of your love as communities that the world may see that you are Lord. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.